0: Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with the University of Illinois Extension here in Macomb, Illinois, where it has finally stopped raining after almost three days of nonstop rain. Uh, I think we might have gotten about five, some people are reporting seven inches in certain places. So that was a lot of rain. And here on this dry day, I am always joined here by our co-hosts, Katie Parker and Quincy. Hello, Katie.
1: Hey, Chris, how are you doing?
0: Oh I'm um, doing good. I guess the rain's moved on, but now it's it's very hot and humid,
1: yes, very hot and humid, but it was good to see the rain.
0: Yes, it was and I see the the so we have a, a bean field behind us right now and then cornfield beyond there. I think in those three days of rain, literally things have grown almost a foot it seems like
1: right so I saw on Twitter today I think there was um, a farmer somewhere that had measured their corn. And overnight, it grew five inches. Wow.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, so that, I mean, things are really jamming right now in the fields, in the yards, even the insects. That's our other co-host, Ken Johnson. That's kind of your domain, right, Ken?
2: It is. The creepy crawlies. (laughs)
0: He loves them, folks. Uh, he, Ken probably has some of the coolest t-shirts, insect-related t-shirts that I've ever seen, and his kids have them, too, and his dog has one.
2: Yes, yeah. go check out the uh, Horticulture Facebook group. You can see them.
0: That's right. Yeah, our Horticulture Facebook group is just getting off the ground, so if you have questions, you can join us on Facebook and ask away, and we share all kinds of resources here. But today, we want to talk about some of the biggest things that we have in the landscape, And that would be our trees and so we brought in ryan pancow he was also a horticulture educator but he is on the east side of the state in uh, the champaign urbana area so ryan's specialty is trees welcome to the podcast ryan
3: oh yeah thanks for having me uh appreciate joining you guys i love the podcast i love listening to the things you guys talk about and more than anything i love talking about trees so you know, as Chris said, I'm I'm based out of Champaign, so I, I cover kind of that east-central part of the state. And, um, you know, we, we still happen to have a lot of trees around here, despite all the cornfields and other things. So, um, yeah, I've I've kind of spent my career as either an arborist, you know, doing tree care, or a forester, uh, you know, doing the care of an entire forested ecosystem. So, yeah, my, my background's in trees, my favorite topic to talk about, so... So, yeah, so what do you guys have on on tap today then to talk about In the Way of Trees?
0: Well, you know, Ryan, there, there's a couple of things. So I, I just put out a blog post, and, you know, we've been working from home a lot these last few months. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I spend more time in the neighborhood, neighbors and everything. Hopefully they don't listen to this, but I don't think it's anyone immediately around me. Um, but you know what? I, I'm seeing just a lot of people just doing stuff wrong to their trees. So I mean, that, that's really why you know, why I wrote the blog post and why I was really wanted to get you on the podcast now because it's just like, oh, these trees are one of our biggest investments that we have in our landscape. So I don't, Ken, Katie, do you guys have, you, I mean, are you seeing stuff like this?
1: Yes, so oh. when I saw your article, I had to laugh because uh, this past weekend I was out working in the yard and we had just bought a house and uh, one thing that I noticed was that the mulch around our trees was volcanoed or mounded up around the the base of the tree. Um, and so I finally just got to that this past weekend. And when I removed the mulch, all I found was just roots growing in that mulch that was mounded up. Um, so we obviously have some issues with planting and so it was very ironic that you had written that article right when i had done that
0: so ryan what's what do we do in a situation like uh, volcano mulching and all that roots mass growing in the mulch
3: Ah, volcano mulching yeah one of the biggest problems you see in the landscape um well uh you know quite frankly it's 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 probably one of the worst things i think i see um or, or the most widespread, I guess, you know, you, you can easily observe that all over the place and parking lot landscaping and at homes and other places. But uh, what we've really learned over over the years, over the last few decades of, you know, cultural study in the field of arboriculture is that uh, that that area there that kind of connects the tree to the ground, the the trunk flare is what we often call it, or the root collar, the basal flare, I guess are kind there's kind of a couple different terms for that. But um, that's a really important area of transition between trunk and root tissue. And uh, when we cover that up with mulch, there's it just changes that environment. You know, it, it's different than how those trees evolved out in a forested ecosystem and, and how that trunk's used to functioning. Um, and one of the best examples I think I've read about of how something that we've really changed when we covered up with mulch is just the fact that there's photosynthetic cells in bark even. So... You know, we've we've stopped any photosynthesis right there. We've changed some processes in the plant. But uh, beyond that, it, it does trap um, a lot of moisture there so that that can harbor some pathogens for infection and other things. And and just it we, we know that it just uh, by by piling mulch or uh, worse yet soil up around the base of that tree and covering up the root flare, it just reduces the function of that tissue that that kind of brings, you know, the, the root. The, all the stuff from the roots up to the rest of the tree. So, the, you know, the, the first basic thing you should do is, yeah, pull that away, just like you did. Just get it pulled back um, away from the trunk. And now when you find all those roots, um, I think my uh, my best recommendation is to kind of prune those off at the trunk, because they're, you know, once you pull them out of the mulch and they're exposed to air and especially sunlight, They're really going to desiccate quickly. They're going to die. And then you have kind of, just like if you left a a dead limb on the trunk, you have kind of this, you know, vector for infection into the trunk, whether it's from, you know, some type of pathogen, pathogen that's trying to rot that dead tissue or from an insect or something that could get in through there. So. I think that's probably the best recommendation is just to kind of pull the mulch back, get it get exposed to air and sunlight and wind and all those things that it should normally have, and then you know remove those with just a probably a pair of hand pruners would be the easiest thing.
0: I often see you know when, when trees are volcano mulched, or another very common thing is when they're planted too deep. One of the biggest issues that arise that Ryan mentioned and that Katie observed were these these roots that that grow up and around the trunks and if they circle around the trunk, then they become defined as a girdling root because it can, in essence, girdle or sort of strangle that tree. Um, Ryan, do you know, in terms of, say you have a significant girdling root, is that something, you know, or should a homeowner just take the the pruners or saw to that? Do, Do you have any recommendations on removing those or a good process for that, or you just go ahead and cut away?
3: Well, yeah, there, there's probably a few kind of general guidelines we can follow, but yeah, just to kind of redefine what that girdling root is, I mean, that's that's a trunk circling root that started to contact that, you know, trunk tissue. So like Chris mentioned, either the tree was planted a little too deep so that root can kind of grow up into the soil and start to contact the trunk or, um, you yeah, usually, know, usually really planting too deep is the biggest cause for that. Um, and so the issue is that... Um, you know, when, when root tissue crosses root tissue, it can fuse, and we've we've probably all heard stories about how a forest is this network of root systems that are kind of all fused together, at least between um, species, they root systems kind of join, so root on root is not a problem. Uh, they can cross each other, that's fine, but when root tissue contacts that trunk, that's a big issue. So, um, you know, it all, just like with everything uh, in the plant world, it all kind of depends, so Uh, with a healthy tree. So, you know, if if the tree really isn't suffering too bad from that, you know, one of the rules of thumb, so to speak, that I was taught is if it's bigger than your thumb, you better have a good reason to cut it. And that was something I was taught. That's not based in science by any means, uh, but I was taught that as a young arborist. And I think that's kind of held true in my experience of what you can and can't cut. Um, Once it gets larger than your thumb, And, and, you know, there's another factor in all this is the trunk diameter because, you know, a a thumb size root for a large mature tree doesn't mean quite as much as a thumb size root for a two inch caliper tree. So there is a big difference there. But once you do get larger than your thumb, it's safe to, you know, assume that we're really taking out a significant chunk of roots there. So, you know, that's where I kind of would would talk with clients and discuss that, you know, know, the fact that we really kind of need to think about this, you know, how you know, how much root system are we going to remove when we cut this larger root? And, you know, how critical is it to the future of your tree that we cut this? And there's often times where we would look at that and say, well, you know, a lot of this trunk is already being strangled by this root. And if we don't cut it, you know, it's in my judgment, it's pretty safe to say, you know, this tree's life is going to be limited by that root. So you know, it, and then it would be kind of a decision for the client. Do you want to see if your tree will last 10, you know, 5, 10, or 15 years? Or do you want to cut that today and kind of get it done with and then see if your tree recovers? You know, we can do some things like mulching and watering and all the things you do to kind of nurse a tree along. Um, or, or you know, so, so it's kind of a judgment call at times for the, for the client. So, For the typical homeowner, I really kind of stress that when when they get to those larger sizes over the size of your thumb, you you really probably should almost have a certified arborist come take a look and really help you make that decision as opposed to trying to make that call yourself. Um, Another issue with girdling roots is how much of that trunk has been constricted. So if you look at the diameter of trunk you have there, you know, how much of that diameter has been actually impacted by the root. And so, you know, we say once you hit about a third of that trunk diameter being impacted by the root, that is a serious health issue. And so that was kind of another one of those metrics that would help a client make this decision. Um, if, if if a third of that trunk was in fact constricted, then boy, that's the time where we probably should think about taking this, this root off, even if it is kind of large and, and seeing how to go. But, you know, overall, uh, each situation is different, and, and it really depends on, again, you know, the underlying health of that tree. And if it's really, really suffering from this girdling root and maybe other issues, then maybe there's it's just not a good idea to even cut it or disturb it. So I wish I had a better answer of a textbook way you deal with it, but it really is kind of depends on the situation.
0: That's a very hard conversation also to have with homeowners in terms of um, having to just you know, suggest that maybe this tree is not high quality or you're just going to run into problems later. Perhaps the best thing to do is actually remove it and plant a higher quality tree or tree that has a a better shot at a longer lifespan.
3: Well, yeah, and and also kind of address some of the issues that may have shortened that tree's lifespan. And, And, there, you know, I can almost guarantee that a tree that has a girdling root, there's probably some other things I could see around that it's probably poor soil conditions to start with a lot of times so there's maybe some things you could do as you're planting the next tree to ensure that it's healthy
0: so i'm wondering ryan say i do have a tree that's been planted too deep and it's been a few years is there something i can do like i know i've seen arborists use air spades before is that is that something that can be done uh, or as an option for a
3: homeowner Um, Yeah, absolutely, Chris. There, that's definitely a great solution to a tree that's planted too deep. And how could you tell it's planted too deep? Well, um, it probably looks like a telephone pole going into the ground. That's what I always say. As opposed to, you know, if you picture a nice buttress root on a tree and that nice outward flare that a normal, you know, root flare or root collar would have, you'd see it tapering outward as it enters the ground. So. When it looks like a telephone pole like that, we know that tree's suffering. We know its root collar is covered up, and for all those reasons we already talked about, it's it's having some health issues. So removing that soil is one of the best things you can possibly do for that tree. Um, you mentioned an air spade. Um, that's probably not something the average homeowner is going to have. Um, it's it's actually a you know compressed air tool that uh, sprays out the. Uh, I, I've used it quite a bit as an arborist, and it's, it sprays out air so fast it just blows all the soil away and leaves the roots. And it, I mean, it, it amazes me at how well those tools work, because you would think it would just rip every root out of the ground with all the pressure that it has, but in some way, shape, or form, it's able to blow away the soil particles and leave roots. So that's probably the way you can get the most thorough exposure of that root flare, but... I've done probably hundreds of those by hand with a little hand trowel before those air spades came about and were popular and easy to get. Um, we did those by hand. I've talked to many a homeowner that I've coached through how to do those by hand. So um, it's it's not rocket science. It's just kind of digging down until you find on, on some trees that are especially small and were just planted, it's maybe a super tiny little root you're looking for for that first root or that, you know, the first root that comes out of the trunk that... Um, is is an indication of where the root flare should be, and so in a tree that's planted a little deep, it's sometimes hard to see that. So you're you're carefully excavating down with a hand trowel, or you know one of the best tools over the years I found for that. It's like the good old fashioned little dandelion poking tool that you jab the dandelions out of your uh, lawn with. So kind of a pointy tool, but just being super careful around the trunk and trying to not you know obviously. Trying, trying not to dig towards the trunk, dig away from it, dig kind of on a tangent to the trunk and just carefully remove all that soil down to the root flare. Yeah, the only other thing I might add in in all that is that after you do a root collar, and especially if it root collar excavation, that's where we dig away all that soil. Um, if you have, if it was pretty far down in there, uh, it kind of leaves a bowl-shaped area of soil that I just always try to tell people: just be aware that's going to be a maintenance issue. You're going to have mulch and soil and things wanting to fill that back up, and so you know, at least once a year, maybe twice a year, you, need, you do need to inspect that and kind of pull out any loose material that's accumulated there and just make sure that that root flare is staying nice and exposed.
0: Oh, we could talk all day about trees because well, Ryan and I, we, we teach classes all day about trees. That's, that's part of our job at extension. So, um, but we do have some questions that have come in From facebook and also into our our offices here so uh brian if you don't mind answering some of these tree questions for us that would be fantastic
3: sure sure yeah let's go through some of them
0: all right so the first one here is from facebook and the question is uh they have a redbud and it was planted last year but it died however it's sending up new shoots from the ground so they want to know will these become new redbud trees
3: well, so um, my answer would be absolutely, if that's a healthy shoot that's coming up, it's it's going to become a, a new redbud tree. Now, um, I would probably tend to think that uh, those uh, younger redbuds are actually from seed as opposed to off the root system of the dead tree. So that's maybe something to kind of look at that I, I really would. You know I, I know that redbuds are just prolific seed producers and prolific sprouters i i have probably a ring of redbuds around my whole property i live in rural central illinois and they're one of the dominant weeds in my landscape beds now night they're pretty easy to pull though is probably the one good thing about it so i would guess as that redbud canopy kind of died and allowed more sun to hit the ground just some of that seed source that was there has shot up some little uh some small ones and I think it's totally fine. And on my property, I haven't done it necessarily under a, a dead redbud tree, but anytime I've not mowed or had a good amount of those shoots kind of come up and decided I wanted a redbud tree there, I just try and select for the strongest one because I don't think you really want a patch over time. You'd kind of get problems from a patch, but... Select for the strongest one and let it grow. Give it some mulch. Take care of it. And I think, you know, in the long run, you'd have a healthy redbud tree there.
1: It seems like redbuds like to grow pretty much anywhere. So, Ryan, we have another question from Gutmarine County. A uh, maple tree we planted five years ago leafed out and then died all of a sudden this year. Do you have any ideas as to what this could be? It does have a weird area of growth on the trunk. They're not sure if that would have anything to do with it. And we'll post the pictures for this question underneath the podcast.
3: Oh, sure. So this is the one that you guys shared a few photos of. I think we have another one with some photos, too, if we get to it. Um, Yeah, so this was a little bit puzzling to me as I looked at the pictures because, um, you know, it's it's a maple tree, again, that leafed out. And then in the picture, every leaf is just brown and dead. And so... um, you know they they mentioned the the weird growth on the trunk. Um, I can't really say there's anything from that weird it's not a normal growth but I I can't say that uh, there's anything about that weird growth that I think would cause a tree to just die quickly like that. Um, You know likely if I had to guess the growth on the trunk was probably from an old wound uh, that the tree's trying to heal over. Uh, We could maybe ask the client a few more questions to see if they know about a wound. If not, um, you know trees develop uh, I, I've heard them kind of compared to as kind of like cancer, a burl on their base. And it's an irregular growth of wood and um, caused by diff- for different reasons. But that might be another explanation for what the growth in the trunk was. Now, uh, the thing that kind of piqued my interest in that picture, I don't know if you guys noticed this, but um, it's in ag land. So we can see a agricultural field in the background. Um, and so, it, you know, that kind of made me think, um, a couple of things. Well, one that that tree is pretty exposed to, you know, wind exposure and being dried out and things. So um, sometimes just a, you know, in a, I almost view some of these these areas in just open ag land where we have a younger tree. This wasn't a real big tree, about five years old. Um, that's just a harsh place for a tree to grow in just this windy, windblown environment. And I've seen sometimes where there was heavy mower damage to the base of a tree, and it just it couldn't quite all the way uh, it couldn't quite keep going its last gas was kind of that leafing out for the season and then because a, a large wound at the base cut off some of its root system at the root flare it just wasn't able to keep growing after that and had to let those tree let the leaves die and in fact the whole tree died and and some of it was the stress of the site but some a lot of it was probably that wound at the base and in this picture we can't see if there's a wound at the base of the tree or not but i would guess since they sent us pictures of the weird area on the trunk There's probably not a wound down there, but I think that would be a follow-up question for me too. Um, And finally, the other thing that just kind of stuck out there, if if you guys noticed the agricultural land close to it, was the possibility of pesticide drift. I know uh, we deal with that a lot. We get a lot of calls here at Extension about that. So um, that's something I always kind of mention. I I have to wonder if that could have been a possibility here too. Uh, What did you guys see from those photos or think about it?
0: Well, the other other thing I look at, and this is, this is also related to uh, pesticides as, as I look at the lawn around the tree. And if there is not a weed in sight, I will follow up with more questions about what type of herbicides might have been used on that lawn. Um, it has actually happened on multiple occasions this year alone where folks have been treating their lawn with herbicides that are not labeled for lawns. And actually they have wound up killing uh, small trees and large trees alike. So those are always those are always questions to follow up with. Um, you know and, and you only have yourself to kick you know when it's you that apply the herbicides. but if it's it's a, a neighbor or someone else, you know then then that that can get into some legal issues and we always do recommend if you suspect any type of a pesticide injury, to your property um, that that you can fill out a, a form with Illinois Department of Ag and and they they can then handle it from there on out. But I did notice in that picture, Ryan, they have a very manicured lawn. So I would probably ask that question of what products have been used.
3: Yeah, and, and I think another clue in thinking about um, you know pesticide drifting and possibly coming from ag land is that there's some healthy trees in the background too. I could see. So I'm not seeing. You know, usually that would be. If it was, you know, whether it's pesticides you applied or, you know, are coming from a a neighboring property or something, uh, what we're going to see is usually damage to multiple different species as opposed to just, it would be weird that just this one maple tree right here is the only thing that got any damage. So um, that's another clue, I guess, to the puzzle.
0: Yeah, I think that and this picture also just kind of goes to show, and, and, and this could be the story for a lot of trees very often it's not just one thing that can kill a tree usually it's a combination of stressors that, that act on that tree trees can be pretty tough you know and so it can take a lot of things that go into it um, but you know very often we're asked to kind of isolate a singular cause and you know, sometimes we just can't and and as, as Ryan has said and it's been repeated on this podcast in past episodes that it so many things depend on so much I mean there's so many different variables out in nature that um, you know it, it's really tough to do like a, a diagnosis or in this case a post-mortem on, on a tree like this
3: yeah that's that's really true that it, it's rare that there's just the one thing that killed a tree you know it usually is an, a multifaceted answer but um, you know the what, what we can focus in on is like what are the things you as a homeowner can fix you know and, and so that's kind of what we have to look at in a lot of terms a lot of times or what are the one or few, two things that we can treat or fix and and hope that that boosts tree health enough that it deals with the rest of the stuff
0: <laughs> so our, our next question is um, it, it it's kind of we have a kind of a, a theme here of trees that are not doing so hot but I guess why else would they why else would they contact extension so this next one is from Morgan County and um, this situation there is bark on an oak tree it's missing and oh my it's huge it's like 12 inches by about three foot that's a pretty big area so they want to know um what caused this uh i guess i'd be curious anything you can do
3: well so when i hear about a kind of a long skinny wound on a tree i mean one of the things i first think of is a lightning strike and that's that's pretty consistently the type of wound that you would see. Maybe it wouldn't be quite 12 inches wide, but it would be long and skinny. And that's, you know, where the lightning exited the tree and went into the ground. So sometimes you can see other damage further up the trunk where there's, um, you know, some more of this long skinny type of damage. But um, there's a lot of things that could cause that you know, now we're seeing bark missing that, that, that you know, maybe some of us might have looked at it and noticed irregular bark sooner than the homeowner does when it's missing. So, you know, if, if it wasn't lightning, you know, something's probably killed the, um, you know, right inside the bark is the xylem and phloem of the tree. So that's kind of like the veins and arteries is how I usually describe it. All the conductive tissue that takes water, water up the tree, water and nutrients up the tree and sugars back down the tree. Um, and so that area has been killed by one thing or another. So that could be, um, you know, an insect could have got in there and started to, you know, kill some bark and things. Um, a wound could have caused that, that maybe didn't seem as serious and and killed a larger area. And now we're seeing the bark come off. Uh, you know, another thing that I've seen actually cause this is, um, extreme stress from the sun when that trunk was in in t- entirely in shade and a tree next to it's removed and all of a sudden the full sun's beating down on that it's like the tree never grew with that amount of sun there and you know trees really adjust to their environment as they grow whether that's wind pressure on the canopy or the amount of sunlight on the trunk where they'll put more growth where they need it so i think in those cases where i've seen large strips of dead uh, bark um, after a tree adjacent to that one was removed, um, I think it's just getting baked in the sun when that bark didn't have the protective layers in place that a tree would have normally put there if it thought it needed to have protection from the sun. So a lot of, lot of different causes. I don't know, have you seen any other causes of things like this for missing bark? So that, I think another possibility could be um, there's a smooth
2: patch of oak tree, so that's a fungal disease that will kind of sometimes cause the bark to, to kind of slough off. It's not really anything to be real concerned about. It'll put on new bark, um, but it's kind of one of those things without really seeing it. It's kind of hard to say what exactly is going on. There's just so many things that could possibly be.
3: Yeah, there, there's one kind of scary thing, Ken, that relates a bit to an insect, um, and that's oak wilt. So, I, But I think by the time uh... You know, what happens with oak wilt is it, it slow, you know slowly or sometimes pretty quickly kills the tree. And and as you probably know, Ken, it's spread by a little beetle that's going to spread that pathogen. But, um, you know, in the later stages of that type of infection, the, the beetle spreads, I guess it would be, a, I think, a fungus to the tree. Um, these large fungal mats develop under the bark that, you know, push off chunks of bark and kind of do the same thing we talked about with, you know, lightning or something kind of killing that cambium layer or xylem and phloem layer. Um, And so, I mean, that's a possibility. I think they would have probably reported, you know, dieback in the leaves and probably would have had other trees and other oaks around suffering from this if it was, in fact, oak will. But just another thing that can maybe cause uh, bark to slough off the trunk. All right. uh, For our next question
2: is another one from Morgan County.
3: Um, So somebody has hydrangeas that aren't blooming um, and
2: what can be done. Um, They think they are the ones with the pink or blue flowers. So I'm assuming that would be the hydrangea macrophylla like the large leaf or, or the mop head hydrangeas
3: well yeah so i guess um you've you've probably kind of already answered one of my first questions on hydrangeas and i think we kind of talked about this before the show all of us that there was a hydrangea question and gosh it's like the age-old hydrangea question of why they aren't blooming i think we all get that question quite a bit and you know one of my first questions right back at him is what species is it so you know i i i think uh that's pretty important because you know some of these are summer flowering hydrangeas, some are spring flowering hydrangeas, um, and and it's important to answer that. If we actually got into a lot of discussion of the different cultivars of hydrangea, there are thousands out there, and there's probably only a handful of them that I could even uh, name confidently. So. Um, It does get complicated kind of sorting out which particular uh, variety or cultivar they might have. But um, gosh, I think one of the I'll I'll see what you guys think. because I know you've all handled this question, but I think one of the biggest issues with hydrangeas not blooming, I've noticed is probably the amount of sun that, um, believe it or not, you know, although we think of these as pretty shade tolerant plants, they do need a good three or four hours of sun or so a day to put on good flowers. And I think that's probably um, one of the bigger issues. Maybe the second being pruning, you know that some of the flower buds were pruned off. But what what do you guys think, or what have you guys uh, experienced?
2: So I think one thing
3: with the, the macrophylla, the big leaf
2: or mop head, um, is those will bloom. A lot of those, the older ones, older cultivars in particular, bloom on old wood, and they're not necessarily they're kind of borderline hardiness for a lot of Illinois. So if we get a nice cold winter, all those flower buds they set in the fall, in the late summer fall. Those get killed off, and you don't have any um, blooms that year. There are, some of the newer varieties will bloom on new and old wood, so you can still get a little bit of a floral display. But most of your flowers are going to be set in the fall. So I think it's another one of those big issues. Depending on the type you have, if it's that fall or, or the, the buds are set in the fall or the spring, um, and, and those cold winters killing a lot of those flower buds.
0: I, I know in the industry they're. You know, they got really excited when they bred hydrangeas that bloom on old and new wood, and um, and you know, one of the most popular variety names out there was "Endless Summer." In the industry, though, that has become known more as "Endless Bummer," because it it literally they it it, it sets flowers kind of lousy. You know, it just doesn't create many flower buds, and so um, I think th- that those types of varieties are still out there for sale breeders have been working on improving those. And so I think there are improved stock out there now. Um, But if this, you know, it it, it could also just be an issue with the breeding that also went into this particular strain of hydrangea.
1: I definitely just bought an endless bummer. Oh no. (laughs) So so that's something I have to look forward to. (laughs) You got to love the sales rack
0: yeah and I'm a sucker for sales also so that um, I've had many of plants in my yard. actually, I get a lot of plants really cheaply and some of those have been fantastic. And then others, I mean, what am I thinking? you know I, I bought a dead plant. so it's just like it's been a grab bag for me historically. <laughs> so um, but yeah it, but I, I do think though some of these newer endless summer series, Hydrangeas—they're putting out. They have improved the bloom, or they yes, they have improved uh, the the flower set on these. So hopefully they perform better. Uh, But again, that's kind of uh, sort of this past decade performance of that series.
1: Yeah, we can definitely keep an eye on it and see how it does. So Ryan, we have one last question for you from McDonough County, and it's another photo question, uh, which we'll post those again. It's a young tree that they planted last year that's dying. Uh, They've sprayed the tree with fungicides and insecticides, but they don't see any bugs. They've also watered with a rooting fertilizer, um, so they don't know what's happening. Can you help them out with this, and is there something that they should be spraying?
3: Uh, Yeah, so I I did take a look at the photos on this, and uh, man, those leaves are looking pretty terrible. you know, I know something we've had really bad the last two springs is anthracnose. And so, uh, you know, some of the damage on these leaves really looks a little bit more like drought stress or something that's, you know, kind of burning the tips. But I, I wouldn't doubt that there's maybe some anthracnose on some of these leaves. And that just, you know, I just talked to somebody today that has, um, yeah, maybe a five or six year old. Planting of oak trees that all just look terrible, and and it's because of that, you know, anthracnose infection earlier this this summer. Now that's an oak species. We're talking about um, maples, I believe, in this picture. Fact of the matter is, anthracnose can get on a lot of different species. Um, it's not the same species. You know, anthracnose is a fungus, not necessarily the same species of fungus, but um, you know the commonly referred to term of anthracnose as a pathogen can you know that can occur on a lot of different species um i have to wonder uh how well these trees are mulched we can't really see in the picture but i know i see a lot of you know turf grass right around it and um i think one thing we often really underestimate in the world of tree care is the stiff competition that turf grass provides you know, com- competes with the tree. And, and the way I always try to kind of explain that to folks is that, you know, if you look at what where ra- grass roots are in the soil profile, they're in that upper four to six inches and they're a super dense mat, you know, everywhere. Where uh, when we just get a little bit of rainfall, that's going to suck up all that water and the tree roots that are underneath that trying to compete with those aren't just aren't going to get much. So uh, that would be one of my first questions to them is just kind of, you know, can you send me some pictures of the base of the trunk of this tree? Um, for, I'd be looking for proper planting depth. And then the fact that they've, you know, really reduced competition with that turf grass would be my first couple of questions. And, you know, I can't really say from the, um, the leaf pictures we have exactly what uh, is going on on those leaves. But um, definitely agree with the client that it doesn't look good. Did, did you guys have any other thoughts on on these young trees?
2: Just to kind of echo your watering thing, I mean, they may be watering, but how much are they watering? Are they actually getting enough water on there? You can go out, you know, hold the hose out over the, the plant for a minute or so that they not probably getting enough water on those plants to need that nice deep um, soaking when you when you water stuff as well.
3: Yeah, that's a great point, Ken. I mean, I think a lot of people really underestimate how much they need to water. And and really our, our watering should try and mimic Natural rainfall. So, what like Ken kind of explained this a little bit that we want a nice, deep, and thorough watering, and less frequently. Like a little tiny shot with a garden hose once a day every day is not what trees in in the you know a Midwestern forest ever evolved with. So, they need to have just like what we would have. You know, a nice soaking rainfall once a week is about what a tree would want. And you know, we always get that question of like, how much should I water and how long? Well, it's you know you can you can totally experiment by watering a bunch or however much you think, and then digging down into the soil a little bit and see how deep that that water got. I mean the main thing we want to do is get you know water deep into the soil profile and out beyond the the um the the drip tip or the the spread of the canopy of the tree. so we want it you know out out beyond that so so that in that way, when we're watering even in areas where we don't think there's tree roots yet. That's going to draw those tree roots out into that area of moist soil and, you know, allow them to easily expand and grow. And that's really the key to bringing, you know, a newly planted tree out of transplant shock is getting that root system extended out into the soil beyond its planting hole. Once it can get that root system extensive and outside of the planting hole, um, it's going to start to really take off and recover and be able to support itself.
0: It seems like we have sort of been hitting on this theme since the very beginning of the podcast Uh, we need to see that base of that tree where you know the the root collar should be uh, and where it comes up from the ground so and a lot of people they tend to focus on what's happening with the leaves and sometimes there's really important information there but we need to see the tree from top to bottom and unfortunately we can't you know see underground but you know what's happening there on that root collar at that base of the tree that's an important component and and trying to answer some of these questions
3: and, and i think there's some mention of some things already being sprayed and i think it was insecticides they mentioned but you know kind of like you talked about earlier chris i think i would maybe ask a few more questions about kind of what was what was applied and sprayed and you know what especially if it was from concentrate how was that mixed <laughs> um some of those kind of questions
0: exactly and if you're not seeing any bugs why are you spraying insecticides that's uh integrated pest management step one you gotta see the pest to actually know what to to apply if you're going to spray something all right well that was that was a lot about uh you know learning about trees and i feel like we've just scratched that surface we can have ryan back probably like every single week uh to get you know just just rich in tree knowledge so um but I will say thank you to Ryan for sharing your time with us
3: today. Thanks for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It was it was a lot of fun. I love talking about trees, so happy to come back sometime, too.
0: So maybe next time you come back, we won't have all of these dead tree questions. Maybe we'll do something fun like, <laughs> like planting trees or selecting trees or something better than dead trees.
3: Yeah, something on the positive side of the tree care world. Yeah.
0: And, and as always, thank you, Ken and Katie, for, for being on with us. Thank Absolutely. You, Chris.
1: Thank you.
0: And Katie, you, good Ryan. luck with your red maple uh, volcano mulch trees. We'll Hopefully, we'll, we'll light a candle to the tree god.
1: <laughs> so far, it looks pretty good. We got it resolved.
0: Perfect. Good. And... You know, next week we are going to be chatting with uh, Peggy Doty. She is an environment and energy educator with Extension, and she's going to be talking to us about living with wildlife here in Illinois. That's all that we got for this show today. So as always, thank you for listening and keep on growing.